0: Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency Gorilla76, where we help B2B manufacturers grow through revenue-focused marketing programs. Every day we use a wide range of digital technology in our personal lives. Just pull that iPhone or Android out of your pocket and flip through all the tools you use to communicate, to stay organized and to manage your life. But in our work lives here in the manufacturing sector, there tends to be more resistance to technology adoption. And I get where that comes from. Turning a big ship can be overwhelming. My guest today will make the argument for digitization, to create efficiencies that drive profitability, to improve communication among team members, to retain tribal knowledge, and to attract and retain the next generation of the workforce who expect a modern digital way of working. Although he'll be talking about all of this specifically through the lens of product and packaging specification management, the lessons are applicable to all of us. Let me introduce him. Matthew Wright is the founder and CEO of SpecWrite, the first cloud-based platform for specification management. SpecWrite has been recognized as a Gartner Cool Vendor, received the Salesforce Innovation Award, and was named one of the top places to work by the OC Register and built in LA. Matthew is also a published author, and his book, The Evolution of Products and Packaging, was named to the Amazon Hot New Release list for industrial relations business and has a five-star rating. Prior to founding Specrite, Matthew spent more than 25 years in the packaging industry, holding leadership positions at International Paper, Temple Inland, and Wrightpack, a packaging company that he co-founded. Matthew has also been involved in leading multiple M&A deals in the packaging industry and sits on the Packaging Advisory Board at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Matthew, welcome to the show.
1: It's great to be here, Joe. And listen to the introduction. We missed one. We just got Fast Company's number three enterprise company uh, along some pretty heavy hitters around us. So we're excited about that and a bunch of other stuff going on right now.
0: No kidding. Well, congratulations. That's a big one.
1: Yeah, no, it was exciting, and uh, we knew about it for a while, and what was great about it is we didn't know we were going to be number three, we just knew we were going to be there somewhere, and we really had a kind of a double excitement uh, about it all, so
0: excited, uh, the momentum that's out there right now. Heck yeah, that's that's really great, congratulations. Thank you. Well, Matthew, I, I know you've got a long history in the packaging industry and quite a bit of experience running manufacturing plants, and I'd love to just let you kind of tell a little bit more of your backstory and what led you to where you are today. Yeah, you know, I should probably do a little bit more work. You know, some things say
1: 20 years, some say 25. I think we're being light. But definitely, I'll just say I spent my whole life in packaging from a very early age uh, when I realized I had to support myself. I've had a great storied career and, and really luckily fell into it accidentally. Today, I think it's a lot more methodical to get into packaging, which we'll talk about. At the time, it was a job. And what really was cool about it is that what really packaging to me get along so well is I'm somebody that likes a lot of change, a lot of complexity. And packaging is that. Packaging is always on hyper speed. It's constantly changing. And so I had a great career starting early days of of just working in the streets of New York, literally, and and Brooklyn. And that area started my career there and and grew up in the business and got a chance to move around the country and really be part of a lot of really cool companies in terms of customers. I talk about running, you know, over 25 manufacturing career you mentioned a few of them in the introduction, really an opportunity to see all things made. And I think that's really kind of starts the story of which we'll talk about a little bit about my journey. But I always had opportunity to start from the ground up that became the youngest general manager in international papers of history, then ultimately the youngest vice president of Temple Inn and another paper company. And it was really driven because I love what I do. And then you mentioned uh, co-founded RightPack and built that business up and ultimately sold that and the business is thriving today. And so, yeah, it's been a great career. A lot of fun. I've seen a lot of cool things made, and dealt with just great people
0: through my whole career. Very cool. And I know that you know all of your collective experiences have sort of led you to this world of specification management where you are today. Can you talk about what that really is all about, and also why it matters?
1: Yeah, you know, and if you step back a little bit through you know my personality growing up, one was always very organized. I think I was always constantly looking to try to make things simple. It is actually how I try to operate today. So put everything where it belongs. You know, you go back and, and you try to find it and you know where it's at. And so this whole concept of organizations always kind of hung around me. It wasn't really driven from packaging. And then as I was in the packaging space, and I was just talking about before this complexity, You know, things are moving fast. And, and I think back when I got in the business, the complexity was low. We felt it was high at the time. I guess that's natural. But it really was low compared to what we live with today. But even at a low complexity level, I saw this just insane amount of energy and effort that took to get stuff done. And it was always like, hey, well, I need this piece of data, or I need that kind of part of uh, information that I'm missing, or, hey, I got this wrong, we need to redo it. And I watched that for 20 years, and it, and it drove me insane many times. I'm just, it didn't wasn't logical. And I tried to overcome it with things that I would write. Today, I'd, I'd look at like a paper version of a spec management platform, so I'd put these binders together. And and try to get some clarity of information. But really that journey of 20 years, whether on operating side or revenue side of the business or, or both, I just saw really great people, great companies, great products struggling to get stuff done and making a lot of waste in the meantime. And I tell the story, as I mentioned, starting in New York City, You know, they take the barges of trash and it would disappear out of the barges. And, and I would go, well, where's it going? Go, that doesn't make sense. We need to figure out why we're making all this waste, because it's not good for anybody. And it was just a lot of mistakes, a lot of time wasted. And that's what started me as I had a chance to sit back as I was selling the company that I had co-founded and really decided, hey, let's sit down and try to figure out what this gap is. What's causing this chaos between people and companies trying to get product to market correctly the first time? And that's that was the origin of specification management. Didn't know I was defined in a category, didn't know I was building something that had never been built before, but it was trying to get control and organization over all this stuff going on. And that was the start.
0: You've mentioned to me. You've seen some horror stories getting products to market. And anything stand out, or just in general, what you've seen on that front, and also just talk about maybe what you're doing at Spec right to change this.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, a lot of war stories. I think everybody in the space does. In the book, I bring up several. And funny, so, I mean, one of the things I get from when I bump into other executives or other people in the industry making products, they that's the part they love the best. Like because we all got them. We all got these war stories of how. Happen or get to the market, and I avoid picking up specific companies because every company's dealt with problems, and I avoid specific products per se. But I will tell you, my diet's narrower than most people. I tend to eat less things than, than other people, as I'm more controlled and concerned with how things get there. But yeah, War Stories. I've been a culprit of the problem. Manufactured, you know, five hundred thousand boxes with the wrong adhesive, and so the product didn't work. You know, we had to fortunately recycle it, but it still was energy and time and effort to recycle that material. And time, you know, we had a lot of time and energy and, and transportation to a major distributor. And so it delayed them. You know, I, I remember years ago, I ran 50,000 blood boxes with the wrong information on the outside. We threw them away, had to rerun them. I launched a global product that was uh, in seven different countries, launching and realized we had the wrong spec. And so this stuff just constantly was kind of around me, seeing these mistakes and errors, not because we didn't have great people or maybe even great processes, but just because the data wasn't managed correctly. And so the foundation of SpecRite and specification data management is really a simplistic view. It says, let's get all the data that's critical to making this product in one place and in one language. And I speak about this all the time is, you know, if you put 10 people, it could be the smartest people in the world in a conference room to solve a problem and they all speak 10 different languages, it's going to take you years to figure out what to do. <laughs> I it's, mean, it's very common sense So you put great people in a room solving these problems, you're still gonna have errors and issues until you get that common language and standard, which is very normal, a lot of the industry and standards and languages that then everybody can come from. So we're what I always call like, I think we've done a good job of making it sexy now, but we're really the fundamental baseline DNA data needed to make things. And that's what specification management is. It's the spec first approach. It's the, that's the most important data first and everybody wants to run and solve things after that. I'm like, no, 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 let's solve this. Workflows, analytics, all that great stuff we talk about in the news all the time goes on top of that. And so that's what specification management is at a granular level, whether it's packaging, products, machinery, get that data right, create those relationships after you digitize it, and then use it operationally different. There's some great stories about that I have too.
0: Yeah, that's well, so why I was going to ask you to go next. Whether you use a, a real company name or not is, is fine to me either way, but I'd love to just kind of hear to make this feel a little more tangible to our listeners, as opposed to more conceptual. You know, what tell us a story of a transformation you've seen a, a manufacturing or you know other organization go through when they finally kind of got their spec management under control. Yeah, no,
1: and there's a million great case studies and stories and, and grab them, but I'll just tell you kind of about a couple of them that really come to mind, and it makes me excited because we have. You know, world-class stickiness, you know, people are in the system all day using it, they don't leave the system. And we'll talk about a little bit about why. But stories that come out of it is, you know, with your industrial manufacturer has global operations. And in each one of these global operations, you know, 12 across the globe, everybody's kind of doing their own thing. And so they have an old system, they built a legacy system, and which I always love, they do have a best-used spec, so best used product. So if you're trying to build something, they'd go into their system. The problem is those 12 systems don't talk to each other. And so you could be, be redundant 12 times to something very similar globally when in fact you should have one product. You should have one spec that globally you use. And so we've moved tens of thousands of specs. We've added some, some clarity to those specifications. Now the global team, doesn't matter where you are in, in the world, looks at the same database of information and shares best practices, shares real-time how to work this data, things that are working. And as one changes, everybody globally knows that that change has been made. And so whether they're trying to make kits of products or they're trying to buy product better, trying to report sustainability, it's all the same data that they're all coming in and sharing from. So that's one example. Another one, which I think is a really relevant one is one of our pet care companies is 38 different companies come together, consolidated as they did over time. And so you could imagine 38 different ways of doing things, different processes. But the core line-based product is very similar. You know, they're buying the same type of packaging. They're buying the same type of raw ingredients. So just getting those down to one system and that having everybody not have to spend a lot of time with 38 people arguing or 38 divisions arguing what's the right method. Here's the platform. Here's the standard language. Now, everybody, let's just talk about how do we do amazing things, new product development faster, sustainability at the same speed. And when you get the spec right, the rest follows. Getting that fundamental database correct and getting that data in there and then allowing people to use it. And that's what we see expansion is typically we'll start one place and people go, oh, where are you getting that data? And then they want access. And then it starts to grow kind of organically. We grew 50% last year just from current customers wanting to do more. which is exciting because it's really impacting people's lives, allowing them to spend time doing better things than chasing data and trying to clarify data is correct.
0: Good examples there. So Matthew, I I interview a lot of manufacturing CEOs from OEMs or contract manufacturers, and I also interview on this podcast people like you who have maybe some technology or a piece of software or something that's serving the manufacturing sector. Starting to see more and more of it, you know, the sort of explosion of Industry 4.0 technology is fueling a lot of that too. But let's talk about sort of technology in the industrial sector right now. You and I were talking in a previous conversation about how tech sort of hit the industry hard in the 80s and 90s after decades of pen and paper. Then in the 2000s, early 2000s, consumer tech started to, you know, really started exploding and catching up with it. And now industry may be needing to catch back up again. So I'd be curious to hear you kind of unpack that a little bit and tell us your perspective on it.
1: Yeah, I think to your point about the explosion in the space. I think it's just beginning. I mean, there's so much land to be had, exciting for us, exciting for the whole space in general. And and I happen to live through kind of those transitional periods coming early into the business where it was still, I'd say, primarily pen and paper. The first thing that was kind of digitized was the general ledger uh, and the P&Ls, kind of more on the finance side and back to the kind of the green screens and you know, it was the have to do. And then it went into kind of production reporting. And it was there, dabbled in in the manufacturing space. And I think, again, we'll talk about why, but complexity was low. And the first step was pretty dramatic. And so, hey, man, I digitized this stuff that had been pen and paper for 100 years. And so, there was this massive kind of leap forward. And then kind of it worked. And so, everybody paused. And I think technology at the same time was looking to do stuff that was even more kind of exciting. And so you had this explosion of technology, whether it was through the dot-com up and down or ultimately through you know social media, that type of thing. And that really took off. And then obviously our experience with technology on our personal lives has really had a massive growth spurt over the last 20 plus years. I think we all know we're, that's kind of plateauing and trying to figure itself out right now. But what's really fun is this whole industrial space was really left dormant. There was really advanced technology in the manufacturing of machinery and, and how those those machines automate and how they work. Really low tech in the connection between that and, and the customer. And so obviously you had an exponential growth in CRMs and, and machinery, but this whole space of getting stuff done was very, it was left alone and really dormant for two reasons. I know we'll talk about the other one in a minute. I think we're heading into the most exciting times because I do think that this great technology my belief is you have to have technology like we experience it in the consumer life in industrials. Most people in industrial manufacturing, the first word out of their mouth when they hear technology is negative because the experience with old, arduous, hard to change, hard to hard to adapt technology. It's typically something they have to do versus want to do. And so it's not a positive engagement. I want to change that. And I think the industry should look really focus on changing that experience to something they engage with versus have to do, I'm really focused on that. And then I think the fun part is the next generation, which is graduating as we speak and did two years ago in the next couple of years, they've only grew up with digitization. I mean, they only grew up with technology. And I think if you can combine manufacturing and the cool stuff about hands-on manufacturing with consumer-based technology, it's going to create a really fun environment for people to work in as they come into their careers. So I know a lot there, certainly happy to unpack any parts of that because there's a lot going on right now. And I think it's
0: exciting times. Yeah, totally. I agree with you fully on that. Well, let's dive a little further into, you know, you kind of hinted at it with younger workforce entering. We know there's a need to bring young talent into the manufacturing workforce in particular as it ages. And I'm kind of curious from your perspective, you know, what role do you think technology needs to play from a standpoint of recruiting and also retaining talent.
1: I've got great stories around this too, as I travel, meet other business leaders, and it doesn't really matter generationally what those leaders come from or where they're at, but it's interesting. There's a lot of complaints about the ability to engage the next generation of workforce. I, I think those complaints have gone on since the beginning of time, but there definitely has some reality of truth in that. However, then when I quickly go, well, what technology are you running or you know, how are you running your manufacturing floor? Or, you know What well, we don't really worry about that. I'm like, well, you kind of have to, to engage the next generational workforce. You know, they, I always say it's, I think they're smarter than we were because we just went to work and did what we're told. And they're sitting there going to work going, no, no, there's a better way to do this, right? And so it's fun. Our One of our big food companies, uh, one of our academic students, which we'll talk about in a minute, graduated, went to this big food company, went to her boss and said, no, no, there's an app for this. I, I don't need to go down to the warehouse and look for samples to see what size they are. It was funny enough, you know, he listened, which was commending, they adapted us and then brought this technology in. And so that's one of many stories that went, well, I think as business leaders, we have to be listening, we have to be aware, we have to engage. And I really think if you can paint the picture of what you do as a company that's really cool of getting product made or developing product or wherever you are, and then you mirror that with some level of very similar experience technology-wise to what they grew up with and what they were educated with. You got a dynamite opportunity to recruit and bring people in. If you don't do that, you won't. You'll be waiting until everybody retires and then trying to figure out what to do with your company. You've got to engage and try things. And and guess what? Even at at SpecRite, we have a lot of technologies we use and engage. And sometimes they don't work, you know, but you got to be trying. You got to be challenging yourself to see if there's something out there that can help, you know, automate, make something better, allow your employees to do something different with their time. And so I encourage business leaders to, it may not be comfortable, it may not be their sweet spot, but find somebody that can help you and lean in on technology because it is the way to recruit
0: today. Yeah, I think it's really easy to just get comfortable with what you're doing and everything just changing so fast these days from a technology standpoint. I mean, geez, I've been running my my marketing agency for about 17 years now. And I just think of how vastly different everything was when, when we started. I mean, I think the, the same year that, maybe a a couple of years before we launched our business is when like Google analytics came into existence. And I think of like everything that's followed that in terms of web analytics and and things. And so it's just, you got to stay on top of it. You got to have people in your organization of different perspectives and are using technology in different ways in their personal lives and in their work lives. I'm on board with everything you're talking about.
1: Yeah, and I think you have to look at it as a business leader, and there's an investment from a monetary standpoint, but the, typically that ROI is there, if it's a good product, and so kind of moving that to the side, there's an investment of change. And you know, that's, I think, the harder part that business leaders got to realize is you may not extract the best value day one, but at some point, it's going to have a dramatic change. It's not going to be incrementally better. It's going to be like, hey, you know, like in our scenario, hey, a digitized, a tower. that's a heavy lift, but oh my God, now I'm here. Now all this stuff goes so much faster, and I got so much better analytics. So I think really being aware if there's a cultural shift that's necessary, and there's a little bit of investment on the front side when you decide to engage with technology. But when you do, I think that not only the recruitment but the business outcomes are going to be dramatically different. And what I'm looking at, we have Specrite taught in twelve different universities. We have a really tight relationship with MSU. I sit on two schools' boards. Like I really believe in this piece of of it all. Is that we just saw the first time that job specs are coming out with technology identified as having to be in their background. You know, they have to have trained on Specrite or Adobe or whatever it is. And so, I think as you see your competitors going that far, like literally pulling in from schools and recruiting out based upon their technology abilities, if you're not doing recruiting, is going to get even harder. I think as you go forward, it's going to be a very small pool of people that want to do it the old way. <laughs> you know,
0: whatever that means, right? Matthew, anything I didn't ask you about that you'd like to add to this conversation?
1: No, I think we touched on it all. It's, I think, again, I'll just go back to, I really look at the manufacturing space today is so exciting. I think there's so much opportunity. It's funny, I was sitting back maybe 10 years ago and I was wondering, is there a lot left to do? You know, it's kind of a silly question, but is it really going to engage me mentally, you know, as in the next 20 years or whatever I want to do? And I would say in the last couple of years, even... Before or after Specright got started, I'd say just in the last two, three years, I've just really said, wow, there's so much to be done globally, domestically with technology and what technology can do for the manufacturing space in terms of competitiveness, in terms of recruiting, in terms of just changing product and becoming better stewards to the globe. I mean, whatever you want to list, I will tell you, technology and engagement, which is barely scratched the surface in industrial manufacturing it's going to be really fun times for the next 10 years. That's how I envision it. I think it's going to be, there's going to be new heroes made, new jobs created, new ways of doing things and products that we couldn't even think of today based upon you know what technology is going to tell us to do in the future and a lot less waste. You know, I tell you 10 years ago, I was a skeptic of how exciting the space is going to be for the next many years. And I tell you in the last two, three years, I've just become a, a radical believer. It's going to be really fun times. It's kind of like I'd almost put it back to kind of like the industrial era. Just you know, just really cool stuff going on that we're just going to be lucky to be part of that time period. So
0: that's cool to hear. hear you talk about that, and especially as somebody who's you've kind of reinvented yourself in your role inside of this world of packaging that you've been in for a large part of your career. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for others too. All you think of all the deep knowledge you've brought to your current role uh, as is founder of Specrite and how that's. Contributed to creating a new solution that's very technology based. So, I commend you for what you've done.
1: Yeah, it's fun. And we've got a lot of, uh, I call it, uh, you know, engineers and other talent that never touched the industrial space that loves packaging now. So, you know, it works in all directions. Uh, we've created some, some radical fans of industrial manufacturing uh, from people that never even knew what that was a few years ago. So,
0: it's exciting times. Gotta love that. Well, Matthew, great conversation. Can you tell us or tell our audience how they can get in touch with you and where they can learn more about Specright? I've tried to
1: keep things simple and organized. So it's specright.com. There's a ton of content. There's a lot of testimonials on there, a lot of video interviews. So, you know, hear from other industrial people about what I'm talking about. So that's how you find out about Specright. And then myself, very easy to find, Matthew at specrite.com. And I respond to everything that's sent to me. And obviously LinkedIn, I'm also very active on LinkedIn. So happy to connect. And and I look at it as a journey and part of just sharing education. So love to talk to people about what's going on in the world today.
0: Awesome. Well, Matthew, thanks for doing this today. Great. No, great to have me. Thank you for your time. As for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of the Manufacturing Executive.